This is Big Man Tyrone, and you're about to watch the MTG Cabal cast with your hosts, Wode, Thirsty, and Reptar. Sub to us on all your podcast networks at MTG Cabal cast and YouTube. <laughs> hey guys, welcome to the Cabal cast. As you'll notice, we are missing a member. Wode yep. is preparing for the imminent birth of his child now. Uh, a couple weeks ago, he was gone. That was just a scare. Hopefully, we'll have a new baby woad in the world before too long here. Yep. Uh, this week, we've got a couple of important topics. One that everyone probably thinks about at some point, may not know a direction, ensuring your collection. The other thing we're going to talk about is obviously now that we have full UMA spoilers, fallout from that, as well as some articles that we're going to be going over that covered that. And Rep, take it away on that note. So, uh, towards the end of this week, we had a finance article come out on a larger website. Well, probably one of the largest websites for content. And the article was not a bad read. It involves a lot of synopsis from community discussion at large. But what we really wanted to point on is the title and the sizzle text for this article. So this article's title is still... A new eternal format is coming, and you need to buy these cards before it does. The sizzle text for the article leads you to believe that this person or this retailer has insight into what's going on, and this is basically kind of BuzzFeedy. It's very much just text. Clickbait. Yeah, to grab eyes and, and uh, up clicks. The site doesn't sell ad space, so this is purely for internal metrics, but this comes along at a time where there's a lot of discussion about uh, not frontier per se, but a new modern format because the card pool is gigantic. Post the card pool is now twice as large as when modern began. And the barrier to enter for this is still pretty high, but based around the lands. So, Which we're getting a little bit of help with currently. Oh, absolutely. The reprinting of the fetch lands and bringing those things down. The main to, lands. Yeah, probably between the 10 and $15 range now. Each iteration drops the price a little more. Definitely helps. And the master sets that we're seeing, in this case UMA, is doing a lot for the modern community and helping make things really affordable for a lot of players. I think Tarmogoyf is now down to about $50 from the 200 or so it was after the first modern master set. Yeah. And after so that, that yeah. And after that, we have a bunch of single print cards, whose modern masters printing didn't do a whole lot to increase supply. You look at a card like Aether Vile, where Local. the initial printing was Dark Steel, and that set is infamous as a set that was not underprinted but undershipped because there was a problem with storage. A lot of that set was destroyed. So there's yeah. not a lot, as much Dark Seal as there should be floating around in comparison to Mirrodin and Fifth Dawn. And Cavern of Souls. Cavern of Souls suffers from the fact that it was one block before the boom in card printing quantity. Return to Rav yeah. marks this period in time where Watsi is now shipping exponentially more product than it had before. And Cavern of Souls just kind of got left out. The Modern Masters 2 printing, right... Two, not IMA? Yeah, it was uh, two. Yep. That printing definitely helped 
bring the price of that card down, but immediately afterwards, several more decks that require it just came into being. So yeah. we have UMA, and UMA is, is here to try and help that. And this article is basically pointing out the fact that because we're getting all of these reprints, that there's going to be a new Eternal format. There has to be a new Eternal format coming. And it lays out some very good points about the way Eternal formats play out. They're non-rotating, so the card pool just grows, and over time, things get stale. What they don't touch on is that Modern is a format that right now pulls in more players than Standard does on average at large event levels. So Watsi creating a new Eternal format is basically creating competition for itself. Yep. You're fighting to pull players from Standard and from Modern into this new format when the current Eternal format you have in support wholeheartedly is the most popular format you have. That doesn't kill trust like we talked about last week, but it just dilutes the player base. And unless people support this format from the start the same way they support Modern now, you're not going to see the same numbers that you are. And this article... the way they supported Modern from the start. Yeah. I mean, when they announced it, there were already events firing off before they even had a band list. Absolutely. And this article goes on to, to talk about cards that you should be picking up if the format starts at, and they go all the way back, I think, to M13. You know, and you yeah. should be buying the Titans, and then M14. Each different iteration, here's what you should pick yeah. up. And a lot of this just becomes self-serving, because you look at the cards that are being talked about, and these are cards that just felt, some of them are just cards that fell out of standard, or cards that were extremely good in standard, that should be seeing, should be seeing play in modern. Things in the in the neighborhood of power to Goblin Rabble Master or the Scarab God, you know, yep. these are powerful cards, and we do see Rabble Master in Legacy, and we do see Rabble Master in Modern here and there. But John's sideboard. Oh, He's and great. Uh, the sideboard for Prison in Legacy, Mono Red Prison. Sometimes the yep. main deck in Twelve Moon. And. Yep. This is an article that just goes to point out all these high-profile cards that people should be buying into because obviously a new Eternal format is coming. And it becomes this very much, as I said, uh, self-aggrandizing article that's almost trying to push people into buying cards they necessarily shouldn't. Just I mean, because it's... the Scarab God is cheap and Torrential Gear Hulk is cheap doesn't mean you should be buying in because somebody thinks somewhere that a new Eternal format is coming. If you're the kind of person that believes it wholeheartedly, then by all means, this is an article for you and you should really pick up on this, but your money is best spent elsewhere. We're, we're still seeing changes in the modern format all the time. Thing in the Ice was a card that cost less than $5 two weeks ago and is now close to 10 because we had several Is It Drake decks at the Star City Open and more online put up good results. And that is a card that a lot of people think could be in this new modern format. Does, does that I mean, mean the card will be worth more than $10 in the future? No. But it means that so many cards that are around now have the ability to jump in price just because of modern. You don't need a new eternal format to pump up these prices. Another example card is Collected Company. No matter how you slice this, if you, unless, you, unless you start after M15, you're going to get Collected Company in this format. And that card is going to be an all-star in that format. That card's just always good, and it's only going to get better. Yeah. I don't know. Like, For me, it seems predatory to mention it in an article, because 
Wizards loves pushed creatures. That's their thing. If they can get pushed creatures, they'll do it. Oh, yeah. And a card like that that rewards pushed creatures is obviously always a good pickup. Not just because of some new format or something. It's just a good card. Yeah. And I... It, it seems... Like, predatory, self-aggrandizing, it's trying to take advantage of people that are trying to get into MTG finance that might not know. Like you said, if you wholeheartedly believe this format's going to be a thing, it's the article for you. But there's stuff like this published every week on multiple websites that, you know, you, you need to take a look at where it's coming from. Because a lot of times it is a self-serving, self-aggrandizing, pushed by whatever website's agenda to try to push sales, which is fine. Yeah. That's, they're a business. They're supposed to do that. Just don't give in to the clickbaity BuzzFeed type stuff is all we're saying to you guys. Yeah. And like, we like to joke about Frontier as a group. And this is a great example. Like people thought, some people thought Frontier was going to be a huge thing because Hararuya and face-to-face games were supporting that format for a fairly long time. There's a tournament in Japan that gave out a case of, I don't even remember what for first place. And that format disappeared very quickly, especially, yeah. not especially, even after CFB supported it at the Grand Prix level. They had side events last year, I believe, and so like maybe December into January or January into March, CFB had several Frontier events, and they maintained that they would fire Frontier in 93-94 as long as people signed up. And people stopped I, signing up for Frontier because they didn't want to play it. I showed up with 12 sleeved proxy-free Frontier decks at GP Memphis and GP Seattle. I couldn't get an event to fire. Yeah. Even giving people the decks couldn't fire. Yeah. So, you know, people want to, to talk badly about Modern for whatever reason and then say a new format's got to come, and that's on them. There, there's nothing points to this new format. Nothing at all. Until Watsi says we're either rotating Modern or on December 6th, they make this announcement that, hooty who, we are making a new Eternal format, we're kicking Modern to the curb over it. There's... I mean, their, their thing with Modern was, we want an Eternal format that isn't beholden to the reserve list, that doesn't rotate, where the most expensive card is, you know, $100 or less or whatever. Mm-hmm. They have that. Yeah. Modern's everything they wanted. It gets insane attendance at large-scale events. It's one of the most popular weeklies in most cities. I, The Moto numbers are good, too. I just don't understand why people think this is inevitable, yeah. why it has to happen. I Would I love three formats? I guess. Bring back Block Constructed and don't design an uninteractable yeah. combo win condition. Yeah, that, that's actually what I think is coming. That's what I think the December 6th announcement is. I'll get to that in a moment. Yeah. But the last thing I want to say about Modern is, and a new Eternal format, if you're the kind of person that want to looks for that wants to look for specs from a brand new set for both, because of Modern and Legacy and Vintage implications, you really don't need to go any further than either the Modern and Legacy subreddits or the... MTG the source boards because those guys brew all the time. The source is amazing for that yeah, stuff. It really is. 
the tournament reports they put up there are hands down some of the best. But the people that are on there are dedicated to their craft and what they do. And Tabasco if, still posts there, and he's been rocking Legacy for what twenty years now. Yeah, and as soon as spoiler season starts, people start going to work, and you can start mm-hmm. reading through the posts under the 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 various formats forums and pick out what you what you do and don't think will make it. And if you don't know, if you've never been to MTG the source before. They've put forth decks that have put up numbers. Things like Tinfins came out of there when that was playable in Legacy. They have been huge in advancing the U.S. scene for a deck called Nickfit in Legacy. And they do a ton of work on both uh, Reanimator, various flavors, and Dredge. And these are a a lot of people play these decks. They're dedicated to those decks, but you won't find that information anywhere else. Like, I bought into prized amalgams when they were nothing because people on the source were were talking about a slower version and dredge. yeah a slower version of legacy dredge that was still LED based that used prized amalgams and before long my, my prized amalgams were two and three dollars when I picked them up for cents these people know what they're doing and that's the place to go if you really want to get in early on modern uh, spec yep um, before we move further into UMA so uh, on arena for the past week, we've had guilds constructed, guilds block constructed, or guild set constructed, whatever it is. And I think the mocks this weekend was also the same format, or very uh, something very similar. Because I think uh, I watched Brad Nelson. I did watch Brad Nelson a little bit, and he flaked out of the mocks, but mentioned it. And I think we might see the return of block on arena. I think that I'd be okay with that. There's a really good chance that's what the announcement is, and in all reality. That has a little bit to do with finance. Overall, it's more of a play announcement than it is finance. If it is true, then something like Phoenix is going to go through the roof because that card is insane in block. And then maybe Steamkin and Experimental Frenzy as well. So yeah. if they do announce block, expect a handful of cards like that to just rock it up. Yeah. But on our way out of uh, UMA, towards the end of the week, was it Wednesday we got the full spoiler? Yeah, Wednesday, Thursday was the full number crunch, spoiler everything, yeah? Yeah, the 21st. Uh, the end of that night uh, into Friday, Saturday, we saw Surgical Extraction disappear from the internet. We saw Monomorphos disappear from the internet. We saw Black Cleave Cliffs disappear from the internet. And at this point, until they are reprinted again in standard, you can just say goodbye to earthly prices on cards like these. Yeah. I someone mentioned in the Discord Surgicals the new EE. Yep. It's a sideboard card that's way too much money. I completely agree with that. Yeah. It's, it's ridiculous. Uh, unless we go back to Mirrodin or New Phyrexia, whatever that plane is officially called now, we will not see Phyrexian Mana outside of another master set. I doubt we'll see it in Commander. And we won't see the Sunburst mechanic unless they think it could extend to a five color plane like Return to Lorwyn or something like that. We're not going to see things like that. There are a few gems left that haven't gone up, I'm sure. I haven't taken a lot of time to look. Uh, Earlier we were talking about some EDH-related cards that are also already fairly expensive that we most likely won't see outside of another Master set unless they just want to make like Ramp Standard again like they did at the beginning of Zendikar and Shadowmoor, so uh, we'll see. But if there's anything you've been eyeing that wasn't reprinted, 
buy it sooner rather than later because it will yeah. go away and you'll never see yeah. it again. You may have missed your boat already. Who knows? Yeah. But, but our big topic for today is collection insurance. And so yes. uh, this is something everybody needs. It doesn't matter how big or small your collection is. Collection insurance can save you from disaster at home and out in the real world. So theft, destruction, you name it, uh, collection insurance can cover it. Yeah. Uh, currently, I know I am underinsured. I just have renter's insurance that covers my collection through uh, travelers because my insurance company was Geico, and that's what they offered. And a lot of times, yeah. your insurance company will bundle, th bundle things together. And I know one of the things I need to do is actually call travelers and see what they truly offer because yeah. at some point, once your collection is worth some amount, they will have to have an independent valuation. And yep. that is something that you need to be aware of, but not be afraid of. Uh, independent no. valuation is never a bad thing. Uh, oftentimes, if you're friendly with your LGS, you might be able to get one of the guys there to come down to your place if your collection is large and give you a ballpark that you can then give to your insurance. Other times, the agency might send somebody out if they're close to you, or they have somebody there in the know that actually knows what's going on. They might send somebody out. Yeah. But so, yeah, I am insured, uh, and so basically, what I'm going to go over is there's a few companies that I looked at. I want to full disclosure beforehand. One, I'm not a licensed insurance agent. Two, you need to make this decision for yourself. This is just my advice based on personal experience. Three, I'm not paid by any of the agencies I mentioned here. These are just the ones that I looked into. Uh, so starting out, there's basically two ways you can go about getting your collection insured. You can do you know, what Reptar said here, go with a traditional insurance, get a renter's policy, and once it becomes time, go to that. Or you can go through some of the more traditional collectibles insurances. Now, the four companies I looked at were USAA, Crane Insurance, mm -hmm. uh, American Collectors, and the collectibles insurance services. So Crane and USAA are two traditional insurance agencies. USAA is a little bit different than the others because you do have to basically be grandfathered into it by you know first-generation military government employee. Now the thing about, I personally I went through Crane because they insure our store and it was easy to get a personal policy done there. Now on a traditional insurance policy, the way you do it, is the way it was done for me. I have a personal property insurance with a collectibles underwriting. And for that, you can't go on a website. You've got to go through your agents. So like you said, rep, call travelers. Hey, I have a collectibles, or I have a collection I need to get insured. I want to get it evaluated, insured for whatever number. And from there, the process can be different. So some companies like a you know Excel document with photos, that show proof of ownership. And they like it once a year. Some of them like it every four months. Uh, some of them like it every three. It just depends on what their cycle is. For me, mine's done, my, mine has photos taken every three months. Mm -hmm. uh, the valuation is updated, and it has to be done by a third party. Fortunately, this is a personal policy, so I know the third party because so, I'm an owner. Wow. What kind of photos are you talking about? Can you just do a spread and say there are this many of this item here, as you can see in the photo, or is it a photo of each? So what it basically works like is, I'm going to hold this up to the camera. You can do something like this. Hmm. Now, also, some companies 
actually consider you playing your deck on stream mm -hmm. proof of ownership, which actually happened to one of the guys here in St. Louis. His deck was stolen at Star City Indy out of his car, mm -hmm. along with his collection and two people who drove with him, their whole collections as well. Yep. So he went to go submit the claim, and the insurance company said, hey, do you have any proof of ownership? Because some companies don't require it until it's gone and you file a claim. Okay. He had actually, from our store, played on camera with his fully foiled Lantern Control deck. It's a shame that was the deck that was there, because that was the deck that was replaced. Yep. deck's terrible. But he was able to use that footage as proof of ownership for the deck. Mm -hmm. So he submitted that. They got the financial estimate and cut him a check for it. Okay. Pretty okay. easy, pretty straightforward. Yeah. Uh, now, the more specific collectibles policies, the nice trade-off there is... So on your traditional personal property insurance, you're going to have a higher deductible. It's non-specific. It mm -hmm. covers a lot more. You know, your deductible can be between five to three to four thousand dollars, depending on the value insured. Okay. Now, with some of the collectibles companies like American Collectors and Collectibles Insurance Services, their deductibles were like two or three hundred dollars, and that's it. After that, they can cover full market value, they can do loss of value insurance, all kinds of stuff. Uh, so it's definitely something that you know I, I recommend everyone sort of look into for themselves. We yeah. will have some links and the description of the video on YouTube to some policies and companies for you guys to look at to explore a little bit more. Yeah. So each one of these will cover both uh, damage and theft, correct? Yes, so damage, theft, you can even add a mailing option. So it covers loss during like postage. Like if you say you have, I don't know, a beta bayou mm -hmm. that you're shipping off to someone, disappears in the mail. Okay. Well, the post office is a nightmare to deal with insurance. Yes. You can just file the claim through your place. Or if you're mailing case stock, you know, you're a smaller vendor doing your first couple shows and you decide I'm going to mail out my inventory so I can just have it there. Yeah. Yeah. Drop ship, pile ship, whatever you want to do. Yeah. Yeah. And some of them even cover, you know, shows. Like my policy actually covers when I go to a show. Yep. So if I take it, I put it in a booth. I, if anything loses value, gets stolen or anything, mm -hmm. it's covered. So that's another thing to look into. Obviously, not everybody needs it. But yeah, theft, uh, damage, flood, fire, burglary. There's some that even, you know, not that it matters on cards, but if something accidentally breaks, you know, say you have a suitcase filled with slab stuff. Yep. You check the bag at the airport. Some of the slabs crack. Well, some companies particularly in collectibles ones, mm -hmm. will ensure loss on that. Wow. So if there was a loss of value, they may require you to surrender the item to get full value. Sometimes they'll just give you half and up your premium. Who knows? Okay. That's not, that's not bad. And when you did your valuation, did everything go in at near mint market price, basically? So... Yeah, it's near mint, LP, whatever. The way I worked it out with my agent was, yes, near mint, market for everything. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, effectively, again, not paid by anyone. Trader Tools is a great way to just have it there, yep. keep a running inventory of what it is, and it updates on the fly. Or okay. my collection tracker on TCG yeah. is another way to do it. And, you know, they basically, they get that spreadsheet every three months, 
I email it to my guy with some photos that says, hey, here's the stuff that's changed. Here's everything I have, whatever. And that's it for the three months. I don't hear from him. He doesn't hear from me until, you know, something goes wrong, which so far, it yeah. hasn't. Now, have you ever had to make a claim? Yes. When you made that claim, what was the process like? And what did they determine was the value they should pay back? So, uh, basically what happened was I was out playing modern. I got my phone rang. It was in my pocket. I didn't notice. My fiance calls the store Mm -hmm. that I was playing at. It's an emergency. Second floor of our apartment collapsed. There's water leaking everywhere all over my desk. Well, my desk is, as I'm sure you can imagine, cards everywhere. Yep. So water got all over a bunch of stuff. Uh, everything that I didn't have double sleeved, which by the way, double sleeve your cards. It's a watertight barrier. Do it. Everything that wasn't double sleeved, it was about a $5,000 loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, I called my insurance agent the next day because I was busy dealing with the apartment. And I was like, Hey, I had some of my stuff damaged. I want to file a claim on my policy. How do I go about doing that? And he worked with me, said, look, you're insured for loss of value and full retail. So do you want to ship these cards because for full value I had to submit the car I to surrender them to the insurance agency mm-hmm. so I had to hand them to them and be like all right here you go they're done cut me a check and we'll go okay and I went for loss of value so my collection was actually insured for Star City okay so I had a friend grade everything co-owner and get it back to me and say all right here's what you're looking at this is the condition they're in now. This mm-hmm. was the condition that they were in, insured for and submitted both spreadsheets to him. He cut me a check for the difference. I held on to my cards. And the whole process took probably about two to three weeks. Okay, that's not bad. Uh, and most of that was just waiting to get the grading back, getting the email over, stuff like that. Yeah. Now, uh, do you know about, similarly for theft, if the claim would be, or the return amount would be similar. Yeah, I actually filed at GP Seattle uh, because you can always catch me in the OX bracket, a fully foiled pauper Delver list. Okay. Complete with Judge Promo Bolts Mm -hmm. and simplified 5th edition Chinese Brainstorms, which there's very few of those. They have the set symbol with the rarity on them. Anyways, it was about... 2.5 2.5 as of the weekend of Seattle. Yep. That was the weekend. Days and Vos went from $50 to $150. Same as Spell Piercing Counter Spell, which was what was in there. Mm-hmm. So I filed the claim. Same deal. It was about two to three weeks. I, you know, when it happened, I immediately went to the Channel Fireball staff and said, Hey, this just happened. Can you keep an eye out for it? I was working the booth that was closest to the Channel Fireball corner. Yep. Uh, you know, got statements from their staff that said, hey, this was never turned in, everything else, submitted all of that to my insurance agent and got the value for it again. About a two to three week turnaround, I just had a check show up and that was it. Now, was the value of that based on the value prior to the event or after the event? So it was based on the insured value, which at the time, uh, I hadn't submitted an update. Okay. So now granted, it's established at the time of the claim, mm-hmm. but 
I like my agent, so I was like, look, as of Sunday, this is what this stuff was. This is what you're going to pay me rather than, you know, try to make a buck off it, which I probably should have done because it's an insurance company. Fair enough, yeah. <laughs> it's good to know that you can... Uh, the update process is, seems to be pretty easy, so in the event that you're going to take something ridiculous out, like a fully foil popper deck, you can yeah. re- update your, your collection before you head in. Yep. Now, is there anything else that our viewers should know about in regards to ensuring, like, if you do have to deal with uh, underwriting and finding somebody local? Yeah, I... to go there? My strong recommendation, if you have an agent you work with, ask them. Because if they don't know someone, like, if they can't do it, the insurance agency is pretty small. They probably know someone who can Travelers, I know, does a lot of collectibles policies, and they're national. Mm-hmm. Crane is mostly a local Midwest type thing, but you know, there's plenty of companies that do this out there. There's, for me, I always want the guy right there in front of me. Yeah, I want it to be someone I can talk to. So for me, that's one of the reasons I like working with someone who's here, an actual agent, and he was actually someone that we were referred to buy another insurance company that said, hey, I don't know if we can insure your business. Here's a guy who can. Mm -hmm. So I encourage everyone, please, please, please ask around. Don't settle for the first plan. Make sure you find one that's right for you. And don't be afraid to ask questions is the biggest thing. Because it's better to ask ahead of time and know how situations are going to be handled Mm -hmm. than all of a sudden when you're stressed out, you have, you know, a $30,000 deck missing. Yeah. The, what do I do now? My vintage deck was stolen. Find out ahead of time. Yeah, these all stories right. go up all the time. You know, between Reddit and the Facebook communities, you can find one of the at least one of these a quarter. I was at GP or Star City X. Everything yep. disappeared. Yep. You know, have you? If anybody sees it, please let me know. Yeah, and a lot of times, you know, by the time that post goes up, unfortunately, it's it's too late. Yeah, it's gone. You know, it's it's very rare. There was one one time in my entire life I've seen a deck return to someone at an event and they were in tears because they were so happy because they didn't think yeah. it would happen. So, you know, ensure your stuff, please. Yes. All right. So that was the bulk of our topic today. And since we want to try and get things down to a reasonable amount of time for this cast, we're just going to move pretty much straight into our picks. For this week and yep. I want to take this one first because it took me a little while to figure this one out so uh, after a lot of soul searching uh, I decided that my pick for this week should be Pelt Collector so it's a $15 or it was a $15 card at release Yeah. and it's done nothing but crater yeah. since uh, since release but one thing I did not think about is something that I've heard from a handful of pros, and that's that Watsi likes to plant cards for the next set. And Pelt Collector seems like the plant for Gruel. That's fair. Gruel's keyword is big. And Pelt yeah. Collector can easily become a 1 mana, 3 3, 4 4, 5 5 with the right creatures. This is also a card that demoed 
immediately in Alf decks in Modern, though I don't think it yeah. has a great place there. No. And it also popped up in the Burning Tree Emissary decks, those Zood, that eight wax style decks. They're so good. Yeah, and you can just make it a four four, or uh, maybe yeah, I mean a four three with the ETB trigger. Yeah. And this is a card that just seems poised and ready to go. And at a dollar sixty four market this morning, there's no reason this can't be a five dollar rare. Solidly. After the I next set think... release. It plays into Simic because every iteration of Simic yep. has plus one plus one counters. Yeah, I I can agree with that. Not uh, not as much as Gruul, obviously. No, but I'm never a fan of what Simic does in Standard. Is my problem. Yeah. I think Simic in Limited is great. I didn't play with Graft when it was a Standard draft mechanic, but I did play with it when it was a Masters draft mechanic. And it was fine as a draft mechanic at the time. It just wasn't standard playable. And that's and that's kind of where I'm going with this, right? Yeah. You know, uh, the uh, oh, sorry, experiment one is actually a, a really good parallel. That mm-hmm. card was in Zoo decks and the Whack decks for a little bit, and I think Pelt Collector is just a better card. You can play a Zoo deck even if it was Nea Zoo for a bit after Nakatel was unbanned without experiment one. That card just. Yeah made that deck kind of hum because you had no That's other true. good green one drop on turn one besides Nakatl and Nakatl can be played on two alongside a card apes just as well and both of those cards power up experiment one sequence yeah. properly it becomes a 3-3 three, three for one just like Pelt Collector but Pelt Collector gets trampled when it becomes a 3-3 three, three. so if you want to pump this thing with mutagenic growths or you want to pump it with become immense like those decks had or you just want to whack it you have a fairly decent card. But I think standard implication is what's going to raise the price of this card solidly to between 3 and $5. And if you can get in now, you're basically going to double up on retail and possibly get out a little ahead a little bit on Bialis value with a, with a good Gruul, Simic, Nea deck in standard once we have the ability to play both shards and wedges. Yeah. This is a card that just has <clears throat> decent ramifications in standard. Yeah, I I can definitely see that. Uh, so I have Wode's pick. He was on Mamber this week. Mox Amber. Card I was high on. Yeah, the rationale is it has the word Mox in it, which is pretty sound. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's, it's you know, t- around sub-10 right now, which might be a bit high. He says he thinks it's good to get in on now because eventually it's going to be a $15, $20, $25 card. Look yeah. at Chrome Mox. Chromax was 15, 10 when EMA came out. Now it's 35 again mm-hmm. because it's a mox. It's a mox. So EDH demand is there, obviously. We're yeah. one good, aggressive, one drop away from this being a modern card. Yep. You know, If Goblin Guide was a legend, then you would immediately slam this in some kind of red-white X deck and then play Thalia on two. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Um, so my picks... I say picks. So really, I was between two cards this week. And I ultimately went with Patriarch's Bidding. Okay. The other choice was Oracle of Moldiah. The reason I wanted both of these was because they seemed like ripe reprint targets for UMA. Mm-hmm. Reasons I went with Patriarch's Bidding over Oracle is legitimately reprintability. So Oracle of Moldiah is generic. 
Uh, granted, multi is plane specific, but it's something you can print in a commander. You can print it in conspiracy. Yep. You can print it in any supplemental product. It's about twenty to twenty-five dollars right now, which is a little bit high. So I went with Patriarch's bidding again, plane specific, but you have to design around that card in a set because it's tribal. Correct. It's also about $15 right now. I could easily over the next year, just due to natural price progression, look at what happened to Phyrexian Altar before this reprint. $50? Why? But I could easily see Patriarch's bidding getting up to the $25 to $30 range because everybody and their mother at some point has you know, demon tribal, angel tribal, some tribal strategy that they try. Yep. It's just part of growing as a player. So I think, you know, getting in on a few at $15, not a bad idea. Worst case, you get out at about 25 to 30. It's not awful. I think it's less likely to be reprinted because, again, it has to be a tribal set. Yeah. You can't just print bidding and conspiracy with no tribes. And I don't think, as you said before the episode, we'll get a standard tribal heavy set anytime soon because, one, they don't push creatures like slivers anymore, and two, we just had a tribal set. Yep. But. Yeah. It, so. I honestly didn't think it was Ixalan because none of those tribes are really standard playable, but it was Ixalan for those of you wondering. Yeah. Uh, the, the one thing I mentioned earlier before the cast when we were talking was prior to Ixalan, I thought the tribal set was actually Shadows Over Innistrad with Spirits. Oh, yeah. That, w- that was my thought, because of how many of them were in the Collected Company deck. Yeah. You had, like, three or four, depending on the time of year, you had All three to four. that deck. Yeah, you had three to four different types of Spirits. And, you know, Collected Company was a problem card for the format, but imagine if it was Patriarch's bidding. Yeah. Five money, just bring back all your Spirits. Cool. Six, eight value creatures just slam me to death. Like, yeah. Yeah, that seems fine. For those of you that didn't play when Patriarch's Bidding wasn't standard, the push creatures were goblins, and that deck was actually as fast as standard affinity. It could kill on turn four because Skirk Prospector, which was reprinted, is a hell of a magic card. Yes, it is. With Pile Driver yeah. and everything else you had access to, it was ridiculous. Yes. Yeah. So. The other thing Patriarch's Bidding has going for it is re- in regards to a n- never being standard reprintable is of all the goblins that, w- that were in that deck, in standard, that made it possible, we are only short Goblin Ringleader and we are short Goblin Sharpshooter. Those are the only two goblins we are missing. Actually, yeah, because we have Prospector, War mm-hmm. Chief, and Siege Gang. That's yep. crazy. And we have Chieftain, which is arguably better, We and yep. we have... Uh, which is in the Legacy deck, and we have Mog War Marshal, which is in the Legacy deck. Yeah. Like, basically, we you have everything you need to just kind of you abuse Skirk Prospector with uh, Sharpshooter and Patriarch Spinning, except Sharpshooter, Ringleader, and Patriarch Spinning. And even without yeah. Ringleader, there are still ways to tutor Goblins to the top of your library. There's a Black Goblin from Lorwyn. Harbinger. Of, yeah, yeah. And it goes along with the rest of the creature cycles from that set. And it just tutors a goblin to the top of your library. And if you vial that bad boy in, it doesn't matter because if it's a sharpshooter, you just win the next turn. Yep. And if it's not, you're most likely tutoring 
something else ridiculous up, like your war chief to just swing out for the win. Yeah. So if bidding ever gets reprinted in standard, it immediately has modern implications. And I'm pretty oh, yeah. sure that members of the play design team have played against this Goblin's deck at some point with Patriarch's bidding. So, I, as a pick, I think this is really good because it's just a lock for never being printed in standard ever again, which means supplemental, which means limited print run, which means because it's from Onslaught to begin with, you're not really going to see that much of a dent in price. Yeah. And I think this is a solid pick. Thank you. But, well, that wraps it up for us, guys. Yep. Thanks for tuning in. Of course, you can catch me at Thirsty Sizzler, at TX Card Pirate for Wode, and... Uh, I am at Halt. I am Reptar on Twitter. And you can find us as a group at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, MTG Cabalcast on Facebook, on iTunes at MTG Cabalcast, and on Stitcher, MTG Cabalcast. And I believe next week or the week after, we will be announcing the tiers for our Patreon and what each one of those tiers gets you immediately. Yep. So It'll be pretty great. Stay tuned, guys. And uh, tune in next week where we'll cover Fallout from the band announcement tomorrow. Oh, yeah. And the, oh, we won't get the December 6th announcement. Damn, my luck. No, we won't. Unfortunate. Right. See you guys. Uh, bye.